0: your first time with us, my name is Andrew. I'm the preaching pastor for Anchor Church. We're going to be in the letter to the Hebrews, so you can go with me uh, to there, chapter 3, near the end of your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we have some on the table over there. Uh, we have been working our way through the letter to the Hebrews a few lines at a time, marching right through the book, and so we're going to keep doing that. I will read the text, and then we'll go ahead and dig in. Uh, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in the heavenly calling, consider Jesus But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son and we are his house if indeed we hold fast to our confidence and our boasting in our hope. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Uh, King Jesus, we come to you in the confidence that you're the one who builds the house. We come to you thankful that, that that Though you're willing to participate with us and walk with us and know us, you are the creator of us and the creator of all things and the savior of the world. And so we come to you now empty-handed, dependent on your grace and your mercy and your love. But we come to you knowing that from you we receive life. And we just pray that today we'd understand you, Jesus. Not just things about you, but who you are and what you've done and what you're doing in us and what you're doing in the world And that the power of your word and the power of your spirit and the power of who you are, Jesus, would transform us. That we would leave here different than when we came in. And for the things of me, God, that are just the things that I have to say uh, that are just from my flesh or just from my mind, God, that those would be forgotten. But the eternal things of you, Jesus, would stand in our hearts and in our minds as we go out and carry light into the darkness this week in Seattle. I pray for the conversion of our neighbors and our friends, our coworkers. Pray they'd see and understand who you are, Jesus. Jesus, we love you and pray these things in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, so we're here in three and one. Pardon me. Um, There's sort of two ways we could approach this text, right? Uh, At first glance, there's a lot here about Moses. And in fact, most people traditionally who have approached this text have set it up something like this Jesus is better than Moses, right? But here's the deal. Um, unless you come from a Jewish background, that might not actually be that big of a deal to you. Uh, If you happen to come from a Jewish family or Jewish yourself, that may actually be a really big deal to talk about Moses and saying this guy, Jesus, this Palestinian peasant preacher, is better than him. But honestly, um, if you don't have a background in the gospel, if you don't have a background in the Bible, if you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, it, it doesn't take a lot of logic to say, so if you guys think that Jesus is God, and you think Moses is a dude, then God's probably better than a dude, right? Maybe you don't know anything about Moses. Maybe you're like, is he the guy from that movie with the, the, the Charlton Heston guy? With, with? Maybe you've never seen that one. It's horribly biblically inaccurate, by the way. Um, but it's Charlton Heston, so whatever. Um, but, but, you know, you look at you're like, yeah, Moses, so what? What did he do? Bo Jackson played two sports. How many sports did Moses play? How is he anything? What is he? Who is he? Like one person got that one. Great. Charlton Heston and Bo Jackson, O for O, preach the Bible and stop. Um, Okay, so here's the deal. We can say, yeah, okay, but yeah, yeah, Jesus is better than Moses. I I get it. But what I think the the thing that we need to see here is that the point of this text, even if you're in the ESV, it's going to say Jesus greater than Moses. That's not the point of the text. It's the sermon illustration for the text. The point of the text is right here. Consider Jesus. It's an imperative. Consider Jesus. And you could also translate this, understand Jesus. He's not after them knowing Jesus is better than Moses as much as he's into them understanding who Jesus is. Because if they understand who Jesus is, then they'll know he's better than Moses. Right? But this is really important. Because if you come in here and you don't know Jesus, you might have any number of ideas of who you think uh, Jesus is. And you need to understand who he actually is. You may come in here with, uh, you know, Jesus is the, just the revolutionary, and he didn't pay taxes, and that's why they crucified him. Okay, no, that's not it. Or, or, or maybe you have a sense of, uh, Jesus is just the guy who's always cranky in everyone, and I just want to get right with him because I think he's mad at me, and, uh, uh, I, you know, I'm scared, and I want Jesus not to be so angry at me anymore. And I want to do good things, so if I do enough good things, then maybe God will love me. Maybe that's your impression of Jesus and maybe that's your impression of God and that's not who he is either. And then I remember to start my timer so everyone can eat lunch later. Okay. So, so maybe you come in here and you have your own presuppositions about who Jesus is, but you don't actually know. And my hope is that you would understand him. And the thing is, as Christians, we need to be careful because we can have our own thing where we're not really understanding Jesus. And you have to, we have to be clear on this. When I say understand Jesus, I'm not talking about picking up more systematic information about who he is. I'm not talking about picking up more creedal information about uh, the facts and figures about his life, though those are very important. Very important. But when I mean understand Jesus... I mean that you understand who he actually is and what he has done and what that means for you and the full facets of that. Not just, uh, uh, oh, his humanity. I really like that Jesus can relate to me and he, and he was here on earth. But I don't really like Jesus, king of kings, lord of lords. Or maybe you just like Jesus, king of kings, lord of lords. But the idea that he was here and he was hungry makes you uncomfortable. We want the full picture of Jesus because Why? Because that's how God has revealed himself in his son Jesus. We want everything. We want the fire hose of things God has revealed about himself in Jesus. And we want to live for a passion for him. And it's not unless we actually bra- embrace who he is and understand him that we'll get there. Okay? Because here's the deal. This is at the core of transformation. This is at the core of Jesus transforming us. Because you could say right now, yeah, I, I understand Jesus has forgiven me. Um, so I should forgive others. But it's really hard and I, I, I just can't. Here, here's what I think. Uh, and maybe you've heard the phrase, I get it in my head, but I don't get it in my heart. Or it's in my head, but not my heart. Uh, I think if, if we're talking about this kind of understanding, if you're saying, I, I have trouble being generous with other people. I have tr- trouble being gen- I know I'm a Christian. I should t- You know the whole thing John the Baptist said about the two coats. And if I have two coats, I should give somebody my other coat. I get it. Yeah, he said it. I just, it's hard for me. So here's the deal. If we don't understand who Jesus is fully, those things will be hard for us. And the answer for those things is not to try harder. I'm a Christian, and I know I should give two coats away, or one of my coats away, because I know that's what good people do. Because, by the way, you look really silly wearing two coats. Um, But the deal is, if, if you have trouble being generous, you don't actually understand how generous Jesus has been to you. You don't understand that you've actually been literally given everything because you've been given Jesus. And if you're having trouble forgiving people then somewhere in there you're not actually fully understanding how much you've been forgiven. Because if you imagine everything you've ever done against God or another human being and understand that that whole debt is wiped out, if you understand that's who Jesus is and what he's done, all of a sudden forgiving other people becomes a lot easier when you actually understand what he's actually done for you. Right? And so that's why this isn't just about Moses. This is about understanding who Jesus is. We need to understand something about him. We need to understand something about us. Or really, we need to understand something about him. You need to understand something about you. And then we need to understand something about us. And then we're going to look at what he's doing in that. So let's go ahead and dig in here in chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore. How many times am I going to say, what's the therefore Therefore, If you've been with the church for any amount of time, every time we get to a therefore, I say, we have to ask, what's the therefore Therefore, How many times am I going to say that? Every time we get to a therefore, because when we get to a therefore, you need to look what the therefore is there for. And so, yes, I know, I say it all the time, but I actually want you to look, because this is a really important therefore. What's the therefore therefore? Things like, long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. Jesus is better than angels. Uh, Jesus is faithful. Uh, Jesus came in the flesh and suffered so he can relate to you. That's what the therefore is there for. That's a big therefore. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, so our background where we're at with Hebrews is we're dealing with a group of Christians who, who are Jewish folks who have seen that Jesus is Messiah, and they've come to worship him. Now, things are getting a little tense, and things are getting a little hard, and frankly, things are a little less crunchy and tangible than they once were for them. Uh, they are people who are saying, Yeah, I know this Jesus thing has come, and now we're just free, I guess. But, you know, when I went to the priest, and I, and I did the law stuff, and I did actions that I knew made me right with God, I knew I was right with God. So what you're telling me is that Jesus Christ has just made me right with God, but how do I know that I'm right with God? Am I right with God tomorrow when I sin? Am I right with God late? How do I know? Because he said so, and he's faithful, and he's true. But there are people who are beginning to walk away and wander away from the truth of Jesus, and they're beginning to add things to Jesus or get distracted with something else and thinking, maybe we really shouldn't eat bacon. You ever read that in Acts? Great scene. The Apostle Peter, high-ranking church leader, buddy of Jesus. God tells him, everything's clean. Go ahead and eat bacon, sausage, all other pork products, whatever that might be. Depending if you're from the south or not, how much you like various pork products. Right? And what does Peter say to God? No way, Jose. I've never eaten anything unclean. And then God has to do the thing that he does with Peter where he says, Hey, I don't know if you know this, Peter, but I'm God, and what I say goes... Oh, thank you. Good learning lesson that we often need to come back to. Um, so they're wandering away. But here are two things that he does here. He says, holy brothers, you who share in a heaven, heavenly calling consider Jesus. So as these people are wandering away, they've not wandered out of the family. They've not completely wandered away from Jesus. Does he write them a letter and say, hey, knuckleheads, I heard that you're really messing up. And I don't like that you're messing up. And you really need to get your act together. You guys are half Christians. He doesn't do that, does he? What does he call them? Holy brothers. Holy brothers and sisters. Holy siblings. Holy. You're holy because Jesus Christ has made you holy. You're holy because Jesus Christ died in your place. You're holy because his body broken and blood, was body broken and bloodshed for you. You're made right with God because of Jesus, guys. Remember? Remember who you are? Holy brothers with a heavenly calling? So something about who they are in Christ now and who they will be, that they're gonna go and be with Jesus in a restored world with a restored people forever and he did it all and he's the one that's done it. How does he address them? Holy brothers who shared a heavenly calling. Come on guys, wake up, come back to the family. This is a great lesson for us if you have a, I mean, it's Christmas time, so it's sort of like the time for it. If you got somebody in your family who's struggling, you got a friend who's struggling, but they're in the gospel, holy brothers, remember who Jesus is. Consider Jesus. So his answer for their wandering. His answer for their walking away from the gospel is not to reprimand them. His answer is to say, understand Jesus. Remember who Jesus is, guys? Because if you really remember who Jesus is, our problem will be solved because you'll know the temple is not where you want to be. You know the high priest sacrificing animals is not where you want to be. You want to be with Jesus. Jesus is where we're going. Jesus is the deal, and Jesus is the point. Remember, guys, Jesus Again, the point of this text is not that Jesus is better than Moses, though he is. Jesus is better than Moses is the illustration of this point. Understand who Jesus is. And I say that because if we miss this piece. We miss that this is the thing that brings transformation in our lives. This is the thing when we apply it to, I am sinning and I don't know how to stop, that the starting point is not, I have to try harder not to sin, but I need to remember what Jesus has done on my behalf and what he's going to do in my life. Okay. Consider Jesus in the imperative, the apostle and high priest of our confession. This is the one place in the New Testament that Jesus is referred to as an apostle. That's kind of a fancy religious sounding name. And people, when people have that title, you're like, oh, that's kind of cool. He's apostle so-and-so. Um, what does apostle mean? It means sent one. Sent one. Jesus, the apostle. So in the book of Revelation, Jesus is referred to as the king of kings, right? And I think what Hebrews is getting after here is Jesus is the apostle of apostles, okay? So we have these 12 guys who are what we'll call capital A apostles. They have the title of apostle. There's only 12 guys who get this title, apostle. But we see other places people refer to as apostles, as sent ones, what we'll call little A apostle. Here's the trick, though. There's no capital or little in Greek, so... I'm Englishizing it. Um, so you have these other guys who are sent ones, like Junius. And uh, if you're particularly if you're in the NASB in Romans sixteen, uh, there's this guy Junius who's referred to as an apostle. Okay, he's not one of the guys. He's not one of the twelve who walked and witnessed Jesus. But they're sent ones. Missionaries are sent ones. Uh, church planners are sent ones. And y'all live in Seattle, which means you're sent ones. You're sent to do something. You're sent to carry the good news of the gospel to this city. You're sent to carry the good news that Jesus saves sinners and saves people from death to life to this city. That is what you get to do and who you are because of Jesus. But we need to understand that, that, that this is an Anchor Church's mission to Seattle. This is Jesus Christ's mission to Seattle. This is Jesus Christ's mission to the ends of the earth. And we... Get to be in on it, because he's the apostle of apostles. He's the apostle. What did Jesus say? So the Father sends me, so I sent you, right? So anything in understanding our sentness needs to start with understanding his sentness, right? If you go across the street with some pumpkin cookies to make friends with your neighbor so you can tell them about Jesus, guess what? You're on Jesus' mission, and that's awesome. If you leave here to go to dangerous missions in Iran, which there, there are so many people in the world who have never even heard of Jesus, have a Bible or whatever, they're all over the place and we are called to love and serve those people, whether it's here by helping people go like Timothy in Guatemala, we send them resources, we pray for them, we care about them, or you going yourself to a dangerous place to tell people about Jesus. We get to do that. But guess what? Even if you leave here and go to Iran tomorrow, you have not gone as far as Jesus came by leaving heaven and coming to earth for you. Okay? Consider this. Understand this. That Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, left heaven to save you because you couldn't get up to heaven. Heaven had to come down for you. Consider that apostle, the sent one of sent ones. Consider Jesus who left heaven to save them, to save you. Because you can't get to him. He had to come down to get to you. And if you're here today with us and you're not a Christian, you need to know that Jesus Christ, before the foundations of the earth, have sent us to you to tell you about Jesus and that God is God and Jesus is him and he'll save you right now. That's why we're here. That's why we exist. So if you're not a Christian, Jesus planned this before the foundations of the earth that we'd be sent to you. Next, as we understand Jesus. Next it says this. He's the high priest of our confession. Now, we are going to dig, dig, dig deep down in this high priest idea because it's a huge idea in the letter of the Hebrews. But we need some shorthand to get around this thing that he keeps, he's kind of dropping some ideas that he's going to circle back around and pick up. He says high priest here. He said high priest earlier. And he's going to keep circling around until he really unpacks what that means as high priest. But for us to understand what it means that Jesus is our high priest is we need to understand that Jesus Christ has made us right with himself. That his priestly activity is making us right with himself, is him personally dealing with the thing between us and him, and that's our sin, dealing with that sin, paying the price for that sin, so that what? So that he could be our high priest and be in relationship with him. That's what it means that he's our high priest. Because before that, there was a mediator between God and man. He a high priest. The high priest of the order of Aaron. And he was the guy that you'd go and you'd bring, the priests are the guys you'd bring your sacrifice to and say, uh, I sinned and I bring this sacrifice to my place for my sin so that this sin, can be, this sin can be dealt with by this thing. And they say, okay. And they deal with it and then you're forgiven. And you had to keep doing these acts because that's the law, that's how it works. You have to keep doing this stuff to be, right, be made right with God. But Jesus Christ comes as the last sacrifice, as the perfect lamb of God who dies on the cross, who's the high priest, who is his own. I mean, this gets a little you know you got to follow with me at some point in time the metaphor breaks down but he's the sacri- the cleansing sacrifice and the one offering the sacrifice we've sinned and he pays the price for our sin it's his idea and he's the one offering himself for us so that we can be made right with god so all our stuff can be dealt with and then he's the one that he's the there's one mediator between man and god that's the man Christ Jesus who's god so there's nothing between us and god because of jesus there's nothing between you and god because of jesus if you're a christian you understand that there's nothing between you and God because of Jesus. You have full, unfettered access to the God of the universe because the God of the universe is your high priest. And so he's just dropping this down so we can kind of begin to wrap our minds around this idea that he's the high priest because he's going to unpack it in this huge, massive way and we'll all scratch our heads and be confused and worship Jesus and it'll be awesome. But that's coming. So I'll save it for then. Of our confession, what's our confession? The gospel. Jesus, the Son of God, saves sinners. Jesus saves sinners. Why do I oftentimes use that same simple definition? Because I want this to be in your bloodstream. I want you to know that Jesus saves sinners like me and like you. And he saves us from death, and he saves us from sin, and he saves us from Satan, and he saves us from hell. And he saves us to life, to life in God, empowered by the Holy Spirit with a new heart. That is our confession, because this is who he is. And it's really important in there that we understand when we say sinners, that means he's saving, uh, uh, you know, if you're doing the right, all the right things so that you feel right in the world. Uh, you're doing good things. Uh, you're, you're always, always doing right and following the law. And, and you want everybody to know how good of a person you are. Because you're always doing good things and you're always right and perfect in the world. So you don't ever do any sinning except for pride and legalism. Because you think, hey God, look at all the cool things I did. I must be worthy of your holiness and your goodness and your grace and your mercy because everything I did, God, it's being, being religious. Jesus, you owe me because I read my Bible today. It's gambling, right? I'm putting my chips on this one. Jesus, I paid the price. I'm in. Do good things for me today. Or are just wiling out, right? It's religion. It's wiling out. It's the whole thing. And Jesus saves us from it all. And you understand this about him. He saves us. You're saved. You're free. Jesus saves sinners. He's faithful. Who is faithful to him who appointed him? Two hymns. What are the hymns? Let me see two hymns. Stop and think about who the hymn is. Who is faithful to him? That's God the Father who appointed him. That's Jesus. Now here's the interesting thing about Moses. Just as Moses also was faithful in God's house. So he's wanting us to know that Jesus is like Moses. Why is that important? Well, if you've never read Numbers or Deuteronomy, you have no idea. And that's okay. So we'll go there real quick. Because he just did one of my favorite things, and that's to remix some Bible. Uh, I have a proof. I'm going to cherry pick and proof text my own preaching methodology right here. Uh, In Numbers, chapter 12, verse 6, it says this. So remember what I just said. 6 says this. And he said... Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, Yahweh's talking here, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Have you read Ezekiel? Anybody read Ezekiel? When you read Ezekiel, you're like, what the heck is he talking about? Read Daniel? Riddles. I don't know. Seven weeks? What? Try and decode that one. I don't know. Don't, don't, don't try and decode. That's not imperative. I'm saying he says the day of the Lord's coming. And you can try ten ways to make the same blah, blah, blah. If you've never read Daniel, you don't know what I'm talking about, but it's confusing. What he's saying here is, hey, there's Moses. And to prophets, I'm going to speak this way. But to Moses, I'm going I'm to speak to him face to face like a friend. Jesus is like Moses. Jesus talks to God the Father face-to-face like a friend. Uh, and then the actual quote here in Deuteronomy or Deuteronomy 18.22, 18.15 says this. This is, the, this is the one who's been waiting for. People have been waiting for this guy. The Lord your God will rise up from you a prophet like me, this is Moses talking, from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. So Moses is saying, hey, there's someday going to come a guy. And he's going to be like me. And so the author of Hebrews wants to know, hey, that guy we were waiting for who's going to be like Moses, he's here. His name's Jesus. But, he's going to continue. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. So, unless, you know, if Charlton Heston is your one framework for who Moses is, You need to know this about Moses. There are like two or three big guys in the Old Testament. There's Father Abraham. There's Elijah. There's Moses. And Moses in the Old Testament is a big deal. Pay attention how often Moses is referenced in the New Testament. Moses is a big deal. And by the way, how amazing is it that God made a big deal out of a stuttering murderer? That's what he did. He said, I'm going to use a guy like that guy. I'm going to use that broken guy to do big things. We have a God of grace, even in the Old Testament, by the way. So Moses, you have to understand, Moses is a big deal. And he says, if you think Moses, a dude, is a big deal, Jesus, Jesus is a big deal. Moses brought the law, which is a big deal. God said, I will be your God, you will be my people, if you walk in my ways, this is what they look like, this is what it looks like to relate to me, this is what it looks like to display my holiness in the world, this is how the sacrificial system is going to work for when you screw it up, this is what faithfulness looks like, this is what it's going to be like, so get to work, guys. Jesus brings the gospel, I will be your people, you will be my people and I will be your God if you walk in my ways, and by the way, I'm going to be the one that makes that possible. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit to empower everything you do as a Christian. Do you know that? Everything you do as a Christian, if it's done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, is done empowered by God. That's grace. Jesus brought that. That's not how it worked in the Old Testament. I mean, you got to consider that that God in this time and place has uniquely gifted us in Seattle, Anchor Church, 2013, with the Holy Spirit to help you understand scripture, to guide the, the, the feet of your path, to point you to Jesus, to move in your life. He's given you new hearts. That's New Testament stuff that happened through the cross. So Moses came and brought the law. He came and brought a, a tablet, some tablets that they were supposed to write on their hearts, Deuteronomy 6. Jesus said, oh yeah? And by the way, all this is foreshadowing what Jesus is gonna do. I'm not just gonna tell you to write this on your heart. I'm gonna give you a new heart. I'm gonna give you a new heart. So Moses brings the old Covenant, the old relationship, Jesus brings the new one. That's all grace. It's all his completed work. It's everything he's done. He's saying, don't wander back into this law stuff. Don't wander back into it's what you do that makes you count. Remember who Jesus is. Understand who Jesus is. Understand what he has done. Because Moses went up a mountain and brought back down two tablets with laws, which are very good. Those Ten Commandments are amazing. Deuteronomy is amazing. Moses is awesome for a guy. Moses went up a hill and brought back down Ten Commandments. Jesus went up a hill and died on a cross to wash us clean from all of our sins, to pay the price for all of our sins, to make it possible that we could walk and live in the presence of God and that he would be our high priest. So yes, Jesus is better than Moses. But the point is, this this passage is not that Jesus is better than Moses. The point of the passage is understand who Jesus is. Because that's what's going to change your heart. Your heart's not going to get changed if you just understand Jesus is better than Moses. Not unless you understand why he's better than Moses. Your heart's going to change. How much better is Jesus than Moses? For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. All right, let's compare. Moses is the house. Jesus is the guy who designed it and built it. You know? Do you remember any of the names? If you know the the architect, Frank Lloyd Wright, do you know the names of any of his houses? If you do, you're a total architect nerd. And good for you. You're free in Christ. And so you're like, who is Frank? Bo Jackson? What's going on today? (laughs) It's just that day. Deal with it. Right? He made really cool houses, and water goes through them. Okay. He made awesome houses. Do they make, they make books with the pictures of the houses and they put his name on it. Right? How much more honor is Frank Lloyd Wright get than the houses he built? All of it. Right? No one hires the building to build the next house. Right? How much better is Jesus than Moses? Better than a builder is than its house. And by the way, he gives us a great parenthetical statement. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. By the way, if you missed it, Jesus is God and Moses isn't. So, hey, I think this is really an important, like, parenthetical statement in Facebook podcasting world. We live in a time and a place where more Christian books and Christian blogs and Christian podcasts and sermons and this, that, and the other opinion are, are at your disposal and at your fingertips, when you read the books by the giants, the awesome dudes—Leon Morris, he's got a cool name—you read R.C. Sproul, you read these guys, you get their commentaries or whatever. Maybe you don't, but if you download them, listen to them, podcasts, whatever, you need to remember that these guys are just guys—they are just human beings. And if you spend any time in church history, you'll realize everybody screws it up somewhere. One you know of the big lessons of church history is humans are humans, and Jesus is Jesus. Humans are broken sinners, and Jesus has been faithfully working for the last 2,000 years. And if you take it out on out, he's been faithfully working from all this time past, even back past the church. You can go to the Old Testament, you can see some real screw ups, right? Moses, Abraham, twice. Abimelech, she's my sister. Pharaoh, she's my sister. That's your wife, dog. What are you doing? And then you get to the spot where Isaac is meeting another guy named Abimelech. And he's concerned they're going to think his wife is really pretty. And then what does he do? Isaac's Abraham's son. What what does Isaac say to Abimelech? She's my sister. No! Isaac, don't do it. It went really poorly twice. And then Abimelech sees them laughing. He's like, that is not your sister. That is your wife. Now Moses was faithful in God's house as a servant To testify of things that were to be spoken of later You ever work in a restaurant? I worked in restaurants You ever work in a family restaurant? You ever work with the the manager who's not part of the family But he's basically part of the family He's a good dude and loves the restaurant like his own and then you see him compared to a son who's in his same spot or a daughter who's in his same spot, a, a, a child of the owner or the uncle's whatever. And, they're the, and there's, two kinds, there's two kinds of sons that you can... I've worked with two kinds of sons. There's the guy who's listening to death metal in the dish pit because his dad will give him a job with all the other guys listening to death metal in the dish pit. And I was a dish pit guy, so I was in the dish pit listening to metal, so I know about these guys, right? And they act like all the other dishwashers, and they know they're not going to get fired because their dad gave them a job as the dishwasher, and he's just hoping they'll shape up and become a wine cook or whatever. But there's these other sons, right? It's, it's not their business, but they treat it like it's their business. They love it like it's their business. They care for it like it's their business. Yeah, Moses is a servant, and he was a faithful servant, but he has no son. He has no son. He's not faithful over this thing the way God is faithful over this thing. Because did Moses ever get really cranky and do silly things? By silly things, I mean detrimental things that made him die in the desert, Like get angry and hit rocks, you can read about it this afternoon. Now, Moses was faithful in God's house, a servant to testify to the things that were spoken of later. Now, remember, he's writing to people who are getting into the law, and Moses is sort of the, the figure in the law. Um, Acts, yeah, we'll go to Acts uh, 26, 22. Now, this is Paul before Agrippa, and Agrippa is not urban diction for a lot of something. It's a guy. Um, Agrippa dudes, Agrippa things, no. Uh, And Paul's saying this to him. "To, To this day, he's on trial here. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. When you're testifying to your friends and your family members and you're living a faithful life, you need to know because of Jesus you have the help of God. Do not try and do it in your own strength. And guess what? Trying to convince someone to be a Christian. In the famous words of my dog Spurgeon, after I just talked about not elevating people too highly, Spurgeon said, trying to convince a pagan to be a Christian is like trying to convince a tiger to be a vegetarian. I think he's right. You can't. It's God's work, it's a miracle. It's not about what. The gospel means that it's not about you all the time. All the time. If your cubicle mate comes to Christ or doesn't come to Christ, it's not on your shoulders. Your job is to be faithful. Anchor Church, be faithful. God will help you. To this day I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but, so this is the good news of Jesus, nothing but what the prophets and Moses, so all of the Old Testament, said would come to pass. I'm just telling you stuff that Joel already said in chapter 2. I'm just telling you what Isaiah 53 already said. I'm just telling you what Jeremiah 31 already said. I'm just telling you what Psalm 110 already said. I'm just telling you what the Old Testament already said. And again, he's leaning on people who are going back to the law. The Old Testament has all this law stuff, but at the end of the day, we're supposed to see that the whole point of it's Messiah is Jesus, is the King of Kings. And he's saying, hey guys, it's not about the ritual. It's about the Messiah. It's about Jesus. One more time he says this. Uh, Jesus says this. Um, this is the scene in Luke 24 when he sneaks up to a couple of guys who are talking about the whole crucifixion thing. Where Je- We thought Jesus was the guy and he was going to really do it, but then he didn't. What happened there? And then he comes around. He sneaks up to them. They don't realize this is Jesus. And he says to them, and he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? The point of Moses is not that he stands toe-to-toe with Jesus, right? This is not Baha'ism. This is not uh, Jesus is a holy leader, and Moses is a holy leader, and Muhammad's a holy leader, and Buddha's a holy leader. Jesus, it, only, period. Now Moses was faithful in God's house as a servant to testify of the things that were to be spoken of later. But Christ, verse 6, But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. He is a faithful superintendent of Anchor Church. He is a faithful superintendent of your life. He is faithfully on it. He is on the job of your sanctification and your life and your glory, even when you're not. Because we're faithful as servants, even in our own walk in life. We're not always faithful to the gospel. We trip back into law. We trip back into, if I could only do these things and God would really love me. Or, hmm, I'm in a while out here. Yeah, I know I shouldn't do this, but hmm, even when you're faithless, he's faithful. I mean, that's... When you're faithless, Jesus is faithful. I'm not saying sin, I'm not saying do religion, I'm just saying he's faithful. He's faithful to you, he's faithful to this church, he's faithful to his plan, and we are his house, and indeed we hold fast to our confidence and our boasting and our hope. See the sandwich there? There's a sandwich there. And if we hunker down only in on Moses, we actually miss, there's a sandwich. What's the top sandwich? Holy brothers, heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Jesus is the meat. And then the other piece of the bread. That other bread piece is this. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast to our confidence and our boasting and our hope. The end game for the author of Hebrews here is not that you would get that Jesus is better than Moses. So you'd understand who Jesus is, and you'd grow in the grace of God, and that we would be His house, and we built up together as the church. Because this isn't about Moses; it's about Jesus. Four things then: something about who He is, something about who you are, something about who we are, and something about what He is doing. So, understanding this—that He's the one who's crushed the beef between us and Him. He's the one who came for you, not you coming for him. Uh, the, The reason why you're a Christian now is his grace and mercy and his eternal plan before the foundations of the earth. Understanding this about him, that he's holy, right, just, and perfect, all love, all good, all light, no dark. This is who he is. He's forgiving, he's gracious, he's generous, he's faithful. I don't want to be generous, then you don't understand how much you have in Jesus. Telling the truth here is uncomfortable then you don't understand that you have the truth in Christ Jesus. And, and the point there is not to like hit you over the head and make you feel guilty. Like, oh, I guess I don't understand well enough. I should study more. Honestly, I don't know what to do other than to tell you the truth until the other shoe drops. This is who Jesus is. This is who Jesus is. This is who Jesus is. Because at the end of the day, when you understand who Jesus is, it's not because of my eloquence. It's not because, of, uh, uh, because I studied for the sermon. It's not because I, 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 I've studied. It's not because I've tried. It's, it's not because I told bad Bo Jackson jokes. It's that the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to see who Jesus is. And he's so faithful when we actually just ask him, Jesus, I am being selfish right now. Will you help me to understand what, who you are and what you've done? Will you help me, Jesus? Will you change me? Will you help me to understand that you set aside your divine rights and entered into human history? The whole point of that passage in Philippians 2 is be other-centered and care for each other because look what Jesus has done to serve you. Ephesians 2, or Ephesians 4, pardon me. If you're having trouble forgiving, remember how much he's forgiven you. Uh, I was sitting down with a couple of guys who uh, the church is working with on something. They were not Christian guys. They were helping us with some stuff. And um, they became intrigued about my testimony. And they began to ask questions about why I became a Christian. It didn't make any sense to them that someone who was 22, a 22 Seattleite uh, that had been to college would become a Christian because that's what stupid people do, I guess. I used to be blunt, like that's what they were thinking. And so I began to tell them my story and, and how I, I read the Bible and saw the truth of Jesus and how I went to the Bible because I wanted to prove somebody wrong about something and that they had wronged me and that I was right and they were wrong. And in the Bible, uh, I, and they saw me, like, oh, I see. So you were able to go to the Bible and find the power to forgive them. Is that what you did? Because that's what they want to hear. Because if then I can go and say, oh, I'm, I'm worshiping this other pretend God and that's where I found the power to forgive and then we're all just... Happy, clappy, all have our own truth and going up the same mountain business, right? That's where they wanted to land. And I had to say to them, no, I have to stop you right there. Because you know what I realized in the moment when I saw who Jesus was? In that moment when I understood who Jesus was, I understood how much I'd sinned against him. I understood how how many good things I did for my own credit and for my own glory so that people would think I am awesome. And I realized in that moment I had sinned against him greatly and he'd forgiven me from it all. And all of a sudden, the wrong things those other people did against me didn't actually matter anymore. It was piddly. It was tiny. It was insignificant. When I actually looked at the body of my sin against God, and then he just crushed that beef between him and me. And then he wiped it clean and made me right because that's who he is. That's what he does. Understand this about him. All of your sins, past, present, and future. Now, this is why I always have to say, and then if you say, oh, future sins, let's get the keg then. You didn't understand what I just said. Because this is freedom, friends. Not bondage. He's our apostle. He was sent to you, he's our high priest. He can relate to you and knows you, is with you. Number two, who you are. Right? He wants them to understand something about him and something about them. Um, Nerd moment, if we can. Uh, John Calvin wrote two big books in Latin called The Institutes of the Christian Religion. And only real nerds read the whole thing. So if you read the whole thing, you're in an exclusive club of people who manage to do that. If you read it in Latin, you get extra points. Now, in the very first, very short chapter of the book, John Calvin tells us, and this is the remix, of course, that the lens that that we need to have in life is understanding who God is and who we are. And if we understand who God is and who we are, that changes everything. By the way, Chapter one is worth the price of admission. And you can put it down and read it when you're old or something. I don't know. You can have it on your bookshelf so when people come over here and say, Oh, the Institutes of the Christian religion, is that Latin? It is. Isn't it a very nice book? I paid money for it, and it's on my shelf. You're so impressive. But in this, when, when we understand, okay, so I understand this then. Holy brothers, holy family, holy siblings. Why am I holy? Because of Jesus. Why, why do I need to cling to him? Who's going to be faithful over this house? Jesus. So I understand myself then suddenly as this massive recipient of grace and mercy and faithfulness. And all of a sudden I understand it's not what zip code I live in, what I do for a living, how much money's in my bank account the clothes I wear, the friends I have or how many people like what I say on Facebook that makes me anything in the universe and all of a sudden I'm free because everything about my life is about the apostle and high priest of my confession that Jesus saved sinners and I'm saved. That is a vastly more durable promise than anything the American dream has to offer you. Vastly more durable um, and, if you're not a Christian and you're here, you need to understand this about who you are. Right now, you're standing in opposition to him. Because there's things that you do, the good things you do, you throw yourself a parade because you think you're awesome. That's pride. There's the wrong things you do they are just open rebellion. You hurt other people. You hurt God. You don't care. You objectify them. There's a bunch of right things that you just choose not to do. Now, the gospel message is not, you come in here, and you stop, stop it, stop it. Stop being proud, stop wiling out, stop doing keg stands, and stop not stopping helping people. Stop it. And if you stop it good enough, if you're a good enough stopper of those things, then God will love you. And you can be welcomed into the family of God, because you tried really hard, and you put on your Sunday best. Because honestly, I think that's what it comes down to. Sometimes that we, Even if you hear sin, you think, just keg stands the lawyer who knows every civil law who obeys all of them, the, the lawyer who's litigious in being uh, even a good person in the world except for he's proud, is in just as much trouble as the frat boy who objectifies others, who, who's, who's after things for his own gain and after things for his own end. You're both in trouble. You're both in trouble. Now, the gospel message is not the strategy how you get out of trouble. The gospel message is that when we, when we, when we rebel against God, That we run from God. When we do idolatry, that's where we take something created and make it our God. We make it the point of our life. It's not just a little statue. It's money, it's power, it's whatever. All of those things are in opposition to God and you stand as an enemy of God. And the message is not, this is the strategy to stop being an enemy. The message is lay down your arms, turn from your sin and turn to Jesus and be saved. And nothing is more loving than telling you that truth. Be saved today. Understand Jesus. Understand this gospel. The gospel is not a war strategy. It's a peace treaty. Lay down your arms and welcome to the family. Understand who he is. And then we understand who we are. Now we're a church. We're the people. We're the body of Christ. We're the body of this magnificent God together doing his stuff in the world. So it's not just you getting saved and then kicking up the lazy boy and doing nothing else for the rest of your life. It's you being saved to life as a community, loving and serving each other. And what's he doing? I think what he's doing with us displays so much about who he is. Two more passages and then we'll be done. What's he doing? Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7 says this. This is Paul again. Of this gospel, Jesus saves sinners, to life. I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. Paul, prolific. Everything he's got comes from God. To me, though I am the very least of the saints, legitimate humility, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles, the people outside of the family of God, the unsearchable riches of Christ. So again, when we talk about understanding, I'm not saying that you're going to leave here to have, have a creedal statement and be able to understand everything about who Jesus is. That will go on for eternity because he's God and you're not. You're finite, he's infinite. That's amazing. Of this gospel, I was made a minister, according to the, uh, pardon me, um, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery. When Paul says mystery, he means something that was hidden that's supposed to come out into the light, uh, not Sherlock Holmes. The mystery that was hidden For ages, in God who created all things so that through the church, you, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities and the heavenly places. You, friends, are a container for God's grace God is being gracious to you in your life to show the universe how good and glorious and wonderful he is. Our community then becomes the context for that graceful message that Jesus saves sinners to life so they can actually look at the context of what's happening here and see Jesus Christ at work. Does that change our 11 a.m. Sunday meeting when we understand that cosmic things are happening as we gather? It should when you understand Jesus. Finally, this This is what he's doing through us. 2 Corinthians 16, starting verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Whatever happened three Christmases ago before you met Jesus at the family reunion or whatever, it's gone. We live with that burden of all the things that we did before we met him. Turns out that person who did those things is gone. That's grace. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ, through Christ, reconciled us to Himself, because He's our High Priest. He made us right with Him. The beef that we made with Him, He crushed, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself not counting their trespasses against them. So if you can think of every wrong thing you've ever done against God or human beings. I can't actually do that, by the way. I don't have the calculator for that. Because the cross of Jesus Christ is not counted against you, Anchor Church. And to trust to the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. Understand that Jesus is using you to save people. He's making his appeal to a broken world through you personally and us collectively. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's our job. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the, righteous, the righteousness of God, working together with him. Then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free, not for religion, not for legalism, not for and out, but for life. This is who he is. Understand who he is and be free. Let's pray. King Jesus, we need you. We need your help. We don't understand you. We don't see you the way we ought to see you. We want to see you. We want to commune with you like Moses. And we know we can because of your work, God, that we can know you face to face like a friend and like our God all at the same, as our God and like a friend all at the same time. So I pray for us, God, that you would help us to understand who you are, how deep your grace is, how powerful your love is, how how unimaginable your forgiveness for us is, and the restoration you're working in our life, that we're not the old creation. We're new, living creations. And by your grace, you're making your appeal through us. Thank you, Jesus. We love you and praise your name. Jesus Christ, amen.